Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Hey, welcome into this edition of the Blue White Breakdown, presented once again by Penn State Health. Dustin Hawkinsmith here, Daniel Gallon with us as well. We've got a couple interesting recruiting topics, which we will continue to cover in this space each and every Friday on the Blue White Breakdown. And uh, this time around, we looked at quarterbacks last week. We'll look at running backs here coming up, and also just at Penn State's athleticism and speed. It was a factor last week at Wisconsin. We expect it will be a factor again this week against Ball State. Two really solid opponents, fundamentally sound, have an identity, but Penn State was able to win that game at Wisconsin with better athleticism, and uh, I think it'll be the difference here coming up against Ball State. We'll look at how Penn State went about getting that advantage, the years of recruiting that went into it. Daniel, you ready to get into some of the some of the news and notes from from the week for starters? We'll talk about the Ball State matchup, then we'll get into some recruiting. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it should be, you know, coming off last week. It'll be interesting to see what happens in week two. The old cliche: biggest improvement happens week one to week two. So we'll see what we're in for this weekend. And they're coming home for the first time in front of fans. I think they said about 650 days since they last played in front of a real home crowd. I think there's going to be some juice flowing at Beaver Stadium. A couple of things from the week I wanted to catch up on. I'm sure Bob and Dave tackled this, but James Franklin addressed the place kicking situation and mentioned that it's still Jordan Stout in all of those phases, but that he expects Jake Pinnegar at some point to help this team out. Yeah, I think a lot of people were surprised when they saw Jordan Stout go out there for the extra point and the short field goals. And then the fact that, you know, he hadn't kicked an extra point uh, since 2018 when he was at Virginia Tech. He hadn't taken a field goal attempt less than 40 yards in his entire college career. You know, he had that reputation as the big leg guy. Um, and, you know, I think I believe what James Franklin says when, you know, he talked about all August where he said, we're tracking everything. We're, you know, we're looking for, we're looking at the numbers. We're trying to see, uh, you know, where the differences are in guys and, whoever does better in practice will win the job. Um, and I think that that is what happened. Stout, I guess, you know, who knows what the number actually was, but Stout was better enough and there was enough of an edge that they went with him over Pinnegar. Obviously, Franklin pointed it out. Having someone handling kickoffs, punting, which Stout was very good at, uh, extra points and all field goals, that's a lot for one guy. Um, you know, that's, it's the type of thing where when you think about NFL rosters, everyone's like, oh, like, why can't you just get one guy to do everything? But the reality is, is that these jobs are very different. They're very hard. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, goes on. Maybe there will be a couple games this year where Pinnegar gets some time, you know, either, you know, so that the coaches can see what they have in him or just to give Stout a break. So, you know, I think it was a surprise uh, to see Stout out there. 
Um, I'm not surprised that they're going to stick with him. Um, you know, James Franklin likes his numbers. Uh, Penn State likes their numbers. And I think that they want to stick with what the numbers say. And I have no doubt when it comes to being thorough and tracking everything, James Franklin will be honest about that. He, and he will be tracking everything about everything. Also going from one week to the next, uh, making a change like this, this early doesn't make much sense, but it could get to a point if there's another game or two like Wisconsin, where you're talking about the real world application of those numbers and what they were tracking in training camp and how this setting differs from what they were going through in training camp. They had they're, they're, Lucky, I guess, in some respects to have Jake Pinnegar as a nice fallback option there. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, another name, you know, we, I, I think we've been, you've been tracking him personally for several weeks now, watching what he can do. And an instrumental figure, I think, in this Penn State offense, which needs a third receiving threat. Certainly last week, four catches for 71 yards. He had that drop where he got a little ahead of himself, but clearly he was a factor then. And I think what they've been saying this week kind of backs up that, you know, I think there is an expectation in this program that he will continue to be a factor and maybe a bigger factor as the year goes on. Yeah, Keandre Lambert-Smith was definitely one of the more intriguing guys entering the season. Obviously, Jahan Dotson, number one. Uh, Parker Washington established himself as number two last year. And then there's kind of that mess of Daniel George, Cam Sullivan Brown, um, Keandre Lambert Smith, some other guys. And, you know, Lambert Smith probably saw the most time out of all those guys last year, 15 catches, 138 yards as a true freshman. Uh, but, you know, he was the first guy out there as the third wide receiver on Saturday. He stayed out there and he delivered that 52 yard catch down the seam was a really nice play where Sean Clifford hung in there. Uh, Lambert Smith, you know, was there to make the catch. And the big conversation about Lambert Smith entering the season, whether it was Taylor Stubblefield or Jahan Dotson talking about him, was the mental side of the game. Basically, Lambert Smith was the type of guy that if he made a mistake, he couldn't just flush it. It would stay with him for the next two, three, four, five plays. And when that happens, things start to snowball. So, you know, he talked about how uh, Taylor Stubblefield tells him to, to close the door, kind of move on from that stuff. Um, and then last night, James Franklin was kind of talking about how there's less peaks and valleys now in Lambert Smith's play, that he's more consistent. And that when he came in as a freshman, uh, Franklin highlighted three things about freshmen that he usually sees is that they're competitive, they're emotional, and they talk a lot. And Lambert Smith was all of those things. Um, and now he's taken all of that and kind of put it together into a package where he can deliver on the field and he can make plays and that if, you know, if there is that drop that doesn't stick with him, you know, for, you know, the next half a quarter, quarter, half, whatever. I think there were two guys last year, maybe more, but Keandre Lambert Smith was one and Jair Brown was one where the Penn state coaching staff invested and they, they showed their hand in terms of what, how they felt about both of these players by giving them playing time in certain situations where just knowing that experience was going to benefit them this year as much as anything. And both of those guys are now, you know, what I would say are starters on, on, on this team and key guys, Jair Brown with a key pick last week, uh, Keandre Lambert Smith uh, with a nice game. And I expect more of that from him. Um, another theme for this week was uh, Mike Yersich. And I think Sean Clifford answered this question after the Wisconsin game, just talking about having Mike Yersich, his presence on the sideline and his demeanor it sounded like projected some confidence and, and he wasn't freaking out. He wasn't emotional and raising his voice. And it sounded like the, the decision to be there on the sideline is paying some early dividends for this team. 
Yeah, yesterday, Senator Mike Miranda said that Yersich is a great leader, that, you know, he's putting them in the right spot, um, you know, where they need to be. Uh, and then Lambert Smith expanded on it a little bit. You know, someone asked him, you know, at halftime, if you guys go in, the offense is not playing well at all. Who's the one that kind of steps up? Who's the voice that you hear uh, to kind of rally the team? And he said it was Yersich, that, you know, Yersich told them it was 0-0, zero, zero, you know, that things are going to happen, that they're still in the game that they still have the chance to kind of kick things in the gear. And it's very clear that the offense responded to that. You come out, you have the long pass to Jahan Dotson. You have a couple other big plays by Dotson, Lambert Smith, Noah Keane. The things kind of really started to, to kick into gear. And I think that Yersich, Yersich, the play caller, and Yersich, the strategist, you know, deserves a lot of credit for that. But from what the players were saying, Yersich, the coach, I think, kind of, and the leader, really played a role in kind of, keeping that steady because, you know, that's how players are. They take their cues from, you know, what the guys above them are doing, where if your sitch is freaking out, then maybe Sean Clifford freaks out, which kind of, you know, it, it goes down the line. So, you know, your sitch fiery guy, but if he can project that calm and kind of that confidence, I think that goes a long way. Always an interesting decision, whether you're you as a coordinator up top, where you benefit from being able to get that sky view and see a little bit better what's going on defensively and being down on the field to be hands on. And I really feel like the further we go, the more it looks like this is the best decision, because I think, you know, I am guilty of this sometimes too, just viewing the offensive coordinator as the guy who calls plays. And sometimes you forget about this guy being an actual coach and being on the sideline there. With this quarterback, with this offense, especially this early in the year, being able to coach these guys and, and set that tone ha has been huge. And I think it was big last week. Uh, as we move from road to home here to Beaver Stadium, Penn State put out just a few changes in the game day experience. Anything that you want to share from that that would be particularly helpful if you're going to a game for the first time in two years? Yeah, the big thing that Penn State emphasized uh, on Tuesday is the mobile ticketing. Uh, they want fans to have all of their tickets downloaded, you know, on the phone in, you know, Apple Wallet, Google Pay, whatever, you know, ready to go when you get there so that there's not uh, people, you know, waiting at the gate, you know, trying to get things to load in a big crowd of people. Um, I think the big thing that Penn State is kind of emphasizing is, you know, being prepared so that there's an expedient entry so that there's not, you know, a lot of big crowds waiting, uh, you know, which, you know, obviously with COVID, that's a concern having a bunch of people in a small space. But I think just in general, like the overall experience is that they want people to be in the seats uh, when, you know, it's time for kickoff. Um, they're opening gates two and a half hours early and the first 45 of those minutes, uh, there's concessions deal, it's like $1 off for every, uh, every $5 you spend. But, you know, I think that the big thing that, um, you know, they, that, the, the deputy director of athletics, Scott Sidwell, really emphasizes just, you know, know before you go. That's the phrase they're using and just kind of being prepared, knowing where you need to be, having your parking ready and, you know, having your tickets ready. I think that that was kind of the, the big emphasis from Penn State going into Saturday. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. 
It's good advice no matter what, especially as they're making these sweeping changes that some might say are a little overdue, but they're here now and uh, and I think they're going to be good ultimately. But everybody has a role in that in that uh, Beaver Stadium um, situation. You know, as, as we're coming back home now for Penn State's home opener, Ball State, uh, I just want to get your early perspective on them. And I noticed we put our Penn Live picks um, up on Thursday, and I was the only one, I believe, who had Penn State covering this 22-point spread. I actually liked that quite a bit, and I'm happy to explain why, but why don't you kind of break down what you see in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, we can go with my pick first. I have Penn State 35, Ball State 14, 22-point spread. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of sneaking it in there. Um, you know, I think that that's kind of a little bit of the, the NFL reporter left in me, where when you see such a big number, all those games are close that you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I can pull, pull the trigger on that. But you know, yesterday morning, I saw Bill Connolly's SP plus uh, picks that has Penn State winning big. And, you know, the more that I kind of thought about it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, probably should have picked, I think I could have picked Penn State to cover, but, you know, it's the type of thing where how much of last week, that first half was an anomaly, how much, you know, are they the first half or are they the second half? That's a big question that they have to answer. Um, and until they answer that, I'm not necessarily comfortable uh, going with that. And then with Ball State, um, you know, I mean, they're a veteran team. They're going to be ready. They have some playmakers in the passing game. Um, you know, and Penn State's strength is the secondary. But, you know, it's early. Still don't quite know what this team is. Ball State isn't kind of the, the usual uh, early season slappy. So, I'm just kind of not, I don't know. I just couldn't, couldn't go 23 points. <laughs> I, and, and, and I, I get that completely. I get all that completely. Um, for me, you know, Wisconsin could not have been a better dress rehearsal, so to speak for this home opener, because what ball state is going to want to try to do to you establish that run game, uh, be patient, move the chains, rely on your ability to create favorable third down situations, all that stuff that Wisconsin was trying to do. Ball State won't be trying to do, and Penn State survived that Wisconsin team, which would arguably, you know, better up front, better talent across the board. Then what? The one thing that really stood out, you know, for Penn State side, the speed and athleticism that had. You can talk about fundamentals all day long, but Wisconsin was having to overcommit to things because they knew that Penn State was faster in so many positions across the board. On, on both sides of the ball. So when they're getting some of that horizontal action on offense, that, that some of that motion, some of that getting the ball out quick to the sidelines, these, these safeties and linebackers are having to take steps in anticipation of that. And when you're creating that situation, you're just creating possibilities down the field, which they were able to get going against Wisconsin, not as much as maybe they could have. I expect the same dynamic to be, to be in play against Ball State where that athleticism and speed will catch them at some point in time, if uh, the Penn state offense doesn't beat itself, um, I picked 45, 17. I respect this ball state team, what they did last year. I also saw them give up 237 yards to the top wide receiver from Western Illinois. So one or both of Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington are going to are going to go nuts. I think on Saturday. And I think maybe Keandre Lambert Smith, and maybe these tight ends who did not have a catch last week, maybe they get involved. I mean, I just think there's too much, uh, athleticism and speed. And if they're, if they can lean on this defense to be elite, then they're, they're going to cover this spread that that's, a, a, and the longer this week went kind of like you, the more I subscribe to that theory. So that's where I was coming from. Yeah, definitely. The more I thought about, you know, what we saw against Wisconsin. And when you think about players, 
like Joey Porter Jr. in the secondary, like Tree Castro Fields, like Jair Brown, Jaquan Brisker. Think about the types of athletes those guys are on the back end. You know, the Ball State's wide receivers, uh, Justin Hall could get his yards, but, you know, it's really hard to kind of see, um, you know, lapses. You know, Danny Davis from Wisconsin had a great game, but he was making circus catches. He was, you know, barely open uh, against three Castro Fields. And, you know, I think that there is a, you know, the difference between a, a Big Ten team and a MAC team, even the best MAC team should probably still be, you know, around 30 points. So, you know, uh, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, when I, when I look back at my pick, I might, you know, or once Penn State, you know, hits a couple defaults of Jahan Dotson, I might be second guessing myself a little bit more, but, you know, I definitely, I think I'm more subscribing to, to kind of your, your breakdown of things at, at this point in the week. Well, this, it's, a, it's a nice segue, I think, just talking about that advantage we expect to unfold because that was one of the things that, that I think a lot of people were talking about with, with Wisconsin. We know what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint. We know they're getting guys, and, and they, you know, more than most teams in the nation, know what they're looking for in a prospect, how they fit what they do, what the right temperament, mentality, size, frame, how to develop them when they get into the weight room. They know exactly what their system is, and they, they get guys who fit their system very, very well. And they do it year in and year out. One of the most consistent forces you'll find in college football is Wisconsin. But this is a Penn State team then that has now beaten that Wisconsin team five times in a row with a little different formula. And, you know, I think just the, the idea of building a roster with speed and from just, I know it's one week and it's a small sample, but to me, this looks like the most the the Penn State roster under James Franklin that has the most NFL tools on it. He needed a couple of years to really get his his um you know his recruits stocked into his system. Had some obviously some good players early, Gasicki, Godwin, you know those guys. But now I think you're seeing talent, speed, NFL tools up and down. And sometimes you know Curtis Jacobs, you know a lot of the running backs were highly regarded. Um, uh, Jahan Dotson was highly regarded coming out, not a perfect prospect by any means. So sometimes all that physical ability comes from recruiting and oftentimes it comes from development. You know, I think Jahan Dotson has come a long way with this speed and quickness. Jaquan Brisker has developed in a big way. Ellis Brooks and Brenton Strange are good examples of guys who were really good prospects who have become better players through development. And then, you know, we mentioned, I, I think you and I talked about this briefly um, this week, Arnold Ebicati is a really good example of both evaluating him coming from Temple and now helping him take that next step and develop where he is. And the, the example is he is just as fast as the moment he walked through Penn State's doors in January, but he's now 20 pounds heavier which you saw all that, the size, power, and speed last week. And it's just, you know, from recruiting to development, they are getting guys with big-time tools, and they continue to do a great job of putting them in position to succeed with those tools. Yeah, I mean, Dwight Galt's strength staff just does, you know, year in and year out, just does a, a ridiculous job with getting these guys ready. You know, Jahan Dotson uh, ran the the four three three forty, uh, which I think would have been the – third or fourth fastest time at the combine in 2020. Uh, and when he came in, you know, he was on the smaller side, I think 5'11", 165 as a senior, uh, which, but he wasn't a burner. He was just kind of a, a good solid wide receiver. And, and even now when you watch him play, you, you don't think necessarily think he's a, he's a burner. Uh, he's just very solid. Um, last night he was asked, you know, how do you get open? Uh, you know, what do you do to get open? And 
he just said, I use my God-given ability uh, to do it. So he's not lacking in the confidence department either. But yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of look at, you know, how these guys have developed, especially a guy like Arnold Ebiketti, where, you know, he was at Temple, which is a D1 FBS program and, you know, a, a solid one. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's not Penn State. There, there's not the same amount of resources. So, you know, I think once he got into the strength program that, you know, he's kind of another one of those guys who's a, a walking advertisement for what Dwight Galt uh, and company can do. And you kind of look at so many of the other guys who fit into that category before. So I think that, you know, that's always the thing where, you know, whenever you talk to these guys, especially on the lines, you know, where, all right, you're coming in, you have to put on this weight. How do you know it's the right amount of weight? How do you make sure that you're not sacrificing any other tools while, while bulking up? Well, Penn State knows exactly how to do that. And every player is different. Every objective versus what they do well versus what you want to keep versus what you want to improve. You know, there's always a push and a pull and they do an exceptional job. That's nothing new. One thing, usually we do a little bit of planning during the week. I'm going to do some planning as we record now, looking at the 2018 recruiting class again will be a fascinating thing because that's where Jahan Dotson was coming from. So many, you know, they had three five stars in, the, in that class, including Micah Parsons. They had another one in Justin Fields who was committed and decommitted. But you look a little bit further down, like a like the, the layer with Jahan Dotson in it. And that was a, a really interesting and a very, very good class in a different way than I expected it to be when they when they signed. So maybe next week or the week after we can we can look at something like that on this on this podcast. Yeah, no, while you were talking, I, I pulled it up because I wanted to, to see what the hot, what Dotson was listed at coming out. And, you know, Justin Shorter is there. He was supposed to be the wide receiver that's doing what Jahan Dotson is, is doing now. And, you know, it's, it's really, I don't know, you know, we talk about it all the time in the recruiting where the stars do matter, that most of the time those five-star guys are the best guys in the country. They're the ones who go to the NFL. Um, but Penn State, you know, is kind of, through their strength program has really kind of been able to, to twist things a little bit where they're getting that elite high four-star, five-star talent, but at the same time that they have the consistent ability to really lift those, you know, maybe mid-level, lower-level four-stars, high three-stars into real contributors. So that's something that I think would be definitely be a lot of fun to look at. And we'll touch on, on running back recruiting as promised earlier, but just one final note there, the Justin Shorter versus Jahan Dotson thing is really interesting because we're only three or four years removed from that recruiting class. And I feel like the prototype of what a good wide receiver is at both college and the pros has changed quite a bit where a Jahan Dotson is getting closer to being the prototype, the idea of being undersized or too thin or all that stuff, you know, Devonte Smith, who's in Philadelphia, unbelievable season last year at Alabama, won the Heisman trophy, incredible year. He's a first round pick. And Jahan Dotson is going now into a pro in, into the NFL draft. If he's got, if he has a monster year, as it looks like he's going to, I don't think NFL teams are going to care that much about how big or how strong he is because the rules with no contact down the field and no contact close to the line of scrimmage anymore, it kind of benefits you if you're not 6'3", 220 now. And that has changed quite a bit. And it speaks to, you know, James Franklin talked this week about college football setting the trends that now the pros are following. And I feel like this is kind of another little facet of that. So just an, just an interesting situation from that, from that 18 class in particular. 
Yeah, I think when you talk about Dotson and looking at his his potential uh, in the pros, and when you talk about what Franklin was kind of talking about uh, in terms of you know how the the ideas change and what the NFL guys are running, what the college guys are running, and how there's a lot more trickle up. I think that it's just kind of the the name of the game now is just getting your athletes the ball in space and and letting them make plays. And Dotson, you know, given his frame and his athletic ability, you know, that's something he can do on a really consistent basis. You know, he, they can give him the ball in the flat. He can take it 80 yards. He can go over the top. Um, you know, you just kind of have to get him open, get him the ball, and something will happen. You know, whereas in the, you know, I'm a sucker for 6'4", 6'5", 220. You know, when you see that listed, when you watch those guys play, you know, they play above the rim. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun. And I really like those wide receivers. But, you know, it's kind of there's the way that the offenses are going. There's still a place for them, but it's not really as it doesn't feel like they're the primary guys uh, as much anymore. Stefan Diggs, you're a, a Maryland guy just like you is another good example of that. If you want that guy to go up and play above the rim, you want that guy in the red zone, you want that that fade route, you want all that stuff. But at the same time, if Stefan Diggs can get open at will, which he can, I mean, how valuable is that tool? All right, let's shift gears to, to running backs here as our, our last t- kind of talking point. Everybody kind of knows the deal where Penn State's coming from with running back recruiting. I just thought week one was a really a, another refresher on not just how they're recruiting the position, uh, how they're developing and how they're deploying. And 2021, this season here reminds me a bit of 2019 where the depth chart started out with five guys and you're wondering, oh my gosh, how are they going to use all five of these guys? And the answer to that question is almost like week to week, you know, week to week, it could change. The hot hand could change uh, just a brief background. Then I'll kind of get your take here. It's 2019. That class had Devin Ford and Noah Kane, two really different running backs there. 2020 Kevon Lee and Kazai Holmes, again, two different running backs, uh, no running backs in 21. Now they've got two committed in 22 and Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. Allen's that, that more physical runner, just as Kevon Lee was in 2020, just as Noah Kane was in 2019. And you're seeing that they're using these guys and you're, they're mixing and matching. The point being, I think, if you can run and you make the most of your opportunities, you're going to get opportunities no matter how many backs they have. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that, you know, with all the depth that they have, they have guys that they can use in, in a bunch of different ways. You know, maybe we'll see more of that uh, against Ball State. Maybe we'll see more of that against Auburn, Villanova. Um, you know, just kind of going up against that was, it's really hard to have takeaways from going up against that Wisconsin defense. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the running game conversation is, you know, that's for another day, but I think it was through four drives. Uh, my favorite stat from the day was through four drives, the Penn state running backs had four carries for four yards with a long run of four. So it was that kind of day for them, but, you know, back to kind of the usage deployment, you know, I think that, it's really easy to kind of, uh, you know, put these guys in silos where you look at Katron Allen, 5'11", 220. Uh, I think there's a quote from his running backs coach to, to 24-7 sports that, you know, he's running like a locomotive right now. And I think that is very apt uh, when you watch him play. Um, and then Nick Singleton is kind of regarded as more of the, the athletic, um, you know, can make the plays in space, but you watch his highlight tape and he's still running between the tackles. He's lowering his shoulder. Um, you know, he's, he's making things happen and, and running away from guys. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting. And I think that this is kind of where the, the development thing comes up again, too, where, you know, Noah Kane, you know, obviously his 34 yard run in the fourth quarter uh, was big, but I think that maybe two of his bigger plays were when he caught 
you know, passes out in the flat, made a guy miss and got a first down. And he's someone where when you think Noah Kane, you don't necessarily think receiving back out on the edge in space. So I think that the, that's a testament to the development uh, that the staff does and, and to Noah Kane himself. Um, but when you look at Singleton and Allen, it's, it's just a very fun duo. Um, and I think that they both do things differently, that they both do a lot of things similarly. But I think the common thread with both of them is that they do a lot of things really well. And I think just looking at it, Singleton looks to me to be the best, maybe most dynamic running back recruit that they've gotten since Saquon Barkley. And nothing against any of these other guys, but Singleton is kind of a different breed. And, and to bring him and Allen at the same time, as you mentioned, not to say that Allen can't be a force on the edges and, and you, you don't want to typecast these guys, but they do get things done in a different way. And it happens to be a complimentary way. It's kind of the Penn State uh, approach to recruiting running backs. So there you go. And, and as you mentioned before, I do think, you know, topically you'll see this running game a more concerted effort to get these guys going when they presumably have a nice advantage up front. Not much they could do last week against Wisconsin, especially early in that game. So we'll see. Yeah. I think Noah Kane went two and a half, more than two and a half quarters without a carry at one point. And, you know, it was just, it was slow going uh, for them. And when you're in a bunch of third and longs, it's, it wasn't just, it wasn't a good combination. Um, but you know, going back to Singleton, you know, for one last note, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how his physical tools continue to, to develop through his uh, senior season. Right now, 24-7 sports has him as the number one running back uh, in the country, you know, in their own house rankings. I think he's uh, number, where is it, number six uh, in the composite among running backs. Um, but there's a lot of high expectations. Um, and, you know, when you think about best running backs in the country, you, know, you think about guys from Florida, you know, guys from Georgia and kind of, uh, you know, more of the, when you look at them, the physically intimidating types, you know, like Zamir White uh, a couple years ago was just a, an enormous guy coming out. And so, you know, I think Singleton is a really interesting case and it'll be interesting to see kind of where his national profile is, where he falls in the rankings when all said and done for his senior year at Governor Mifflin. Penn State in good shape now at the running back spot. Looks to be in better shape when these guys arrive next year. That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkins. That's it for this edition of the Friday recruiting episode of the Blue White Breakdown. We'll be here every Friday for as long as we know, uh, certainly through the end of the season. Be sure to check us out each Friday on the Blue White Breakdown. You can check us out on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and on YouTube too, just in case you want to see that Daniel Gallon mustache in real time. We don't have it in 1080p just yet, so all of the follicles, they might blur together at, at, at close range, but we're working on that. Uh, between now and then, we'll see you next Friday. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey.